You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfish. Let's say we find a couple of low mileage pit woofies. And I'm Ari, and I'm going to yeet that man into the nearest red dwarf. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes Conspiracy and The Neutral Zone. And uh, instead of getting into some small talk, we're going to get right into the episodes and we will recap our feelings about the whole season. So uh, Ari, uh, kick us off with Conspiracy. So Conspiracy is the 25th episode of the first season. It first aired on the 9th of May, 1988. The teleplay was by Tracy Torme. The story was by Robert Sabaroff, and it was directed by Cliff Bull. So, um, this is the first sequel episode we've had in uh, um, in TNG to this point. And I didn't even realize it was a, it was a sequel episode until I saw that guy whisper in the captain's ear, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Why do I know him?" And then I realized it was that guy who was like fist-pumping and excited to join the Enterprise last time we saw him. For those who didn't catch Coming of Age in that episode, uh, some this guy named Remick was like interrogating the entire crew because Admiral Quinn was suspicious of things going on star- uh, going around in Starfleet, and he wanted to make sure he could vet Picard and know that Picard was on the up-and-up. So that he could be the commandant of Starfleet or whatever, so right. he could position people where he wanted them. Mm-hmm. And Picard turned that down, but uh, he's still, you know, keeping his eye open. And in this one, Picard gets a uh, an emergency message from uh, Captain Walker Keel, who's an old friend of his and Jack Crusher's, who is like, hey, uh, I know you've got a miss- mission somewhere else, but you've got to go to this planet to meet me clandestinely and you can't tell anyone about it. And Picard's like... This is very suspicious, but you're one of my oldest friends, so he goes. And, you know, he tries to keep everyone else out of it. He's just like, sorry, this is captain business only. Nobody else can know about it. He beams down. By himself, much to Riker's chagrin. Sure, but, you know, you can understand why he would be doing this. Yep. And there's a couple other captains there who hold him at phaser point immediately, and Walker starts asking him trick questions to to make sure that that uh, Picard is who he says he is and isn't impersonating himself. And how do you cut your sandwiches to eat them? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that kind of a thing. <laughs> and then they go to Earth. That was exciting. I was really excited. I had no idea we were going to go to Earth. I was very excited. I wrote, are we going to go to Earth? All in capitals. And then I was like, Earth in all capitals. <laughs> but before they go to Earth, after... You know, uh, Walker has given the whole thing and Picard's like, I don't know, this sounds like conspiracy nonsense. They just go back on their way and then Walker's ship blows up. Right. That's right. I forgot about that part. It does blow up. The Horatio. Beverly even like came up to the bridge because she's like, I heard Walker's here. And then like he dies. Mm hmm. Because like. Because Walker Reed was the one who introduced Jack Crusher to Beverly. That was one of the trick questions. The scroll question was who introduced who to who. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting, too. And I I kind of, you know, you you see a little bit of sadness on her face. She's just like, oh, my God, he died. And I just totally missed it. But I felt like I should have. I don't know. I, I I wanted to see a little bit more of a reaction from her on that one. Well, I wondered if the lack of reaction was because Picard lied to her. Because even Walker said, please tell Beverly hello for me. And then he lied. She said, did you see Walker? And he was like, no. <laughs> and so, like, maybe she thought her- Walker wasn't on the ship, maybe? No. No, she knew he was Captain the Horatio. When the Horatio blew up, she knew Walker died. Okay. 
I wasn't sure. Yeah, P- Picard just lied about meeting him because he wanted to like keep that meeting uh, under wraps. Yeah. But since it now seems that Walker's suspicions uh, have some merit to them, considering he literally blew up after that meeting, Picard brings in the senior staff on the allegations and decides to go uh, to Earth to get to the bottom of these suspicions. Too bad that these two episodes weren't reversed, just to say, because they could have taken those Earth people home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. <laughs> I, I have that thought, too. So they get to Earth, and Starfleet's like, oh, what? Enterprise, well, it's always good to see you, but aren't you supposed to be on the Outer Rim? And they're like, well, we just uh, figured we we uh, would uh, stop in and... Uh, pop and on by, yeah. Pop on by and, uh, <laughs> hey, s- see if anybody happens to have any, like, weird uh, alien things crawling around in their brain. <laughs> so... And then, in the end, they do. They do all have... Oh, but I was so betrayed by Trila. I was like... I, I even have in my notes here, Trila is my new favorite. Oh, the, <laughs> then- yeah, the, the captain um, who was... She she was one of the captains that they met uh, in that clandestine meeting. She was supposed to be one of the ones who was vetted and, and good, but it looked... Uh, maybe they got to her before that point. Or I was trying to, to figure that, that out. Point. Like, do you think they got to her after we met with Walker? I think she was the reason that Walker's ship blew up. I think that's probably it. I think they probably had gotten to her, but Walker had already trusted her. So, right. Because like very clearly the Remick guy was not the same fist pumping dorky dude that was there a few weeks ago. No, I'm pretty sure. Well, and, and Quinn had his suspicions at that point too. Right. Because we see Quinn and Remick again, but they're both now infected by this, uh, insectoid uh, alien thing that goes in through your mouth and you know takes control of you and has a little blue gill that sticks out the back of your neck so that the so it can breathe because so that's weird breathe. evolution yeah yeah <laughs> it lives inside of people but it needs to breathe so what did you think of this episode do you like this one it's a really graphic episode i was really surprised and i actually accidentally got it spoiled for myself because i was trying to figure out where i knew remick from and so i went to the memory alpha and it's full of pages of like all the pro or pictures of the prosthetics and uh-huh. so i was like oh holy crap what's coming at the end of this episode <laughs> And I didn't, I don't usually, like, I don't read anything when I'm looking for that kind of stuff. But this, this was the first one where, like, the actual, like, prosthetics and makeup and special effects were really interesting. Oh, yeah, it was um, a really cool job that they did. But uh, Remick turns out to be, like, the mother alien who's, yes. like, you know, spawning all the other ones. I think they called him the mother. Yeah. So they, you know, they, they, they blow him up. Uh, in a really grisom display where it's funny too because like he just is sitting there in a chair he's like we seek peaceful coexistence and Picard and Riker just look at each other and wordlessly just blast the shit out of him (laughs) (laughs) I know they're like nope 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 you say that but you've got little things crawling in and out of you and you're mind controlling everyone (laughs) and they shoot him and his entire torso explodes and it's I don't know how this was okay on in 1980s TV. It was very I was graphic. really surprised. Now, 1980s horror movies were really that level of graphic. So it was like, maybe they had been... Like, I'm thinking Freddy Krueger type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they had gotten really, like, kind of gory by the late 80s. And so maybe, like, the t- that was when we started to, like, relax what we'd show on TV. Because, yeah, like... It was very chest burstery. Like it was very it was I don't know, it was it was graphic and then there was another alien inside of him. Like a bigger one, not just the little trilobite trilobite looking things. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting episode. Really interesting. Um so I wanna go back 
to the beginning. Okay. Okay. So this is my favorite cold open of all time so far. <laughs> We've got Riker in charge. We've got Deanna giving him googly eyes. We've got Jordy telling a sex joke, and we've got <laughs> Data trying to understand the joke, and then his laughing. Like, it was just, everything about it was so good. I loved it so much. It was the first time Data had ever laughed in his life, I feel like. I think so. And the way he stopped, like, and it just stopped mid-laugh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh- <laughs> And then he just turns (laughs) to his little keyboard thing and he's like, oh, back to work now. Like he realized halfway through that laugh that this isn't working and it's not funny. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) (laughs) I I find myself relating more and more to Data. Oh, how about when Picard gave Data something to to analyze? I think to try and find patterns of of this alien infestation in in, in, in Starfleet. And Data just starts, like, talking to himself while working with the computer to analyze, and the computer thinks he was asking a question, and it, it, it responds, <laughs> like, oh, and then, then Data's like, oh, no, I was talking to myself. And then he starts babbling about how he's talking to himself, and what he's it like, means. oh, wow, that's yeah. amazing, I'm talking to myself, what a human thing. And then the computer's just like, thank you, I understand. It's like, the, even the computer's <laughs> like, shut up, Data, you're babbling. I know, my notes say, oh, my God. He's, even the computer is over Data being a walking thesaurus. <laughs> It was it was so funny. <laughs> it was so good. Um, this and right around that time, apparently in my notes is the first time I wrote "I miss Tasha." <laughs> but uh-huh. There's a lot of times that I was like, especially in the next episode, like where is like they need to replace her because <laughs> there's no security on the Enterprise. Oh, Worf, Worf is now the uh, chief of security as well as the tactical officer, so uh, he runs all of that. That's good, because him and Jordy do come running at one point, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I loved that cold open. I thought it was great. Even the googly eyes that Deanna was giving to Bill were just like, oh, look at her, loving on Bill. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> now, whenever I reference Riker and Troy, I've been calling him Bill, but only when I'm talking about Deanna. <laughs> <laughs> How about, because, like, it's the, the planet that they were talking about going to, Pacifica or whatever it was called. It's <laughs> an ocean planet, and they're all, like, looking forward to some, some good time on the beach. Except for yeah. Worf. Because they're like, oh, come on, Worf, don't you want to go swimming? He's like, no, swimming is too much, like, bathing. Do, do Klingons not bathe? That's actually one of my questions. <laughs> I... Uh, I hope they do, because um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be standing near Worf on the bridge. I, well, yeah, I, get, they really can't complain about those little pig monster things if they also don't take baths. <laughs> <laughs> no, I my notes say, swimming is too much like bathing, and then it says, WTF, Worf. <laughs> my note says, swimming is too much like bathing, Worf stinky. He's so stinky. <laughs> so, what about the Code 47? We ever see that before, or is that a new thing? That's a new thing, and I think I mentioned this before but the number 47 is Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. frequently used thing and i think this is actually the first instance of it in the show i've been watching for it since you said that because you said it was 42 with inflation which i think is so funny and you know who would think it was so funny douglas adams i think he would think that's hilarious (laughs) of course he would it's it is a very douglas adams joke to give it is so the planet that 
Ditalics B sounds like a prescription for an SSRI, doesn't it? <laughs> Did it sound like I was? And they were about to tell me about all of the side effects that I might occur, like might might occur when I go down to that planet. I just, possible I side like, effects of Ditalics B include alien infestation, conspiracy, <laughs> having your body filled with little bug things, <laughs> violent explosion of the chest. <laughs> Talk to your doctor about if Ditalics B is right for you. So I hated Walker from the beginning. Was oh, I supposed so creepy, to like him? Right? He, he, yeah. he, he comes off so creepy right from the get-go. And I like I kind of get it. Like, he's, at this point, very paranoid. Yeah. So, you, you know, he, he stumbled onto something that, that could, you know, destroy the Federation. So, like, I can understand from his perspective why he's acting like that. But, yeah, it, it does not make you want to trust him at first. When he calls and he's just like, keep this all on the down low. And I'm going to be very creepy about it with you, Picard. And I'm just like, uh, uh, with my, don't trust my this very dude. low gravelly voice. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he was a nicer person back when they were all pals. I hope so. I mean, he introduced Beverly and Jack. And yeah. and yeah, I mean, that was another reason I thought Wesley should be there was because of that. But whatever. You know how I feel when Wesley isn't there. Yeah. So he gets down to the SSRI planet, Ditalics, mm-hmm. and he goes down there and he takes the world's longest and slowest walk down a ramp while we all watch. <laughs> well, they wanted to show off the set. They really did. They were like, let's let's show you this red thing we've designed. It really, and here we go, I know, I, I think it's been a couple episodes since I've brought this up, but it really reminded me of 2001 when they get to the Tycho Crater on Mars, or I'm sorry, not Mars, the moon, where the second monolith is, because it's kind of down in a hole and you have to walk down a ramp to get to it. Felt like a deliberate nod to me. Everything feels like a 2001 reference to you i know and it is <laughs> everything's a 2001 reference <laughs> when, when you gave birth to your kid you were like it's a baby like in 2001 <laughs> <laughs> i had not seen 2001 yet but if that if i had i probably would have been like look i made a space baby just like dave <laughs> <laughs> Someday we should just do an episode where I talk about 2001 so people can know how weird, just how weird I am about 2001. (laughs) Well, that's something that, I mean, I watched it once when I was seven, so I remember nothing about it. So it could be a good role reversal because you're the expert It could make a good one-off episode where I'm the expert and everything, yeah. Anyway, so... I really liked that set. I thought it was really good. Obviously, this was the point where I started getting scroll vibes because they were giving him the third degree, you know, about who introduced who and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I've seen this movie. You had mentioned uh, before we started recording that the uh, alien captain down there, you were like, is that guy Sloth from uh, from the Goonies? Yeah, because he kind of looked like him. So I looked him up as a different actor, but he's Michael Berryman, and he has hypohydriotic ectodermal dysplasia, which prevents the formation of hair, fingernails, teeth, and sweat glands. Oh, interesting. So it wasn't makeup, or was it? Well, some of it was makeup, because okay. they gave him blue skin and that, that ridge and everything, but he also does have a very unique look which uh-huh. probably lends itself well to 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 an alien uh, appearance yeah because i looked at his imdb and it looked like he has been in a few things like and i, I think he might have been in other star trek things too uh yeah it looks like he had a minor role in star trek 4 as a starfleet officer just mm. some other random alien but uh yeah no uh, not sloth Different. Not sloth, but I mean, you can see why I thought it, right? He was especially because he was in the dark. Yeah. But then I was doing the math, like, when did Goonies come out? I think right around the same time. I think it was the late 80s. Well, this came out in 88. 
Okay, and Goonies came out in, in 85, so oh. a couple years before this. Yeah, so definitely. I Maybe it was supposed to kind of be on purpose, because I thought he really looked like the character. But... I don't think it was on purpose. I think the guy just has a look. Yeah, okay. Um, I didn't like, so now we're to Earth, which I thought was really exciting, because I mm-hmm. didn't, I mean, how often do we go to Earth? It doesn't feel like very often. Oh, um, Very, very rarely. Uh, I think there might be, uh, I don't know, maybe two, three, four more episodes in the entire series where they go to Earth. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah. It's space exploration. You want to go out places that we haven't been. Right, not Earth. Although it's interesting to see Earth 400 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, to see what the hallways on Earth look like 400 That's years in true. the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like their Admiral uniforms. They don't really... I, I think they stop using those after the first season. Um, I, when the first time we saw one of those in uh, Too Short a Season, I had thought that that was the only time we saw it, but it looks like they used it all throughout this uh, this season. But afterwards, they go for something a little less gaudy. They, they, they get rid of the sash, and it's more of a... It still looks like a, a more official uniform than than the standard yeah. uh, uh, officer stuff, but they, yeah, that that sash is ugly, so ugly. So they get to Earth, and Captain Picard is trying to figure out if they're aliens or what's going. I don't think he even has an idea it's aliens, but he decides to let the guy that he knows that came to try to vet him on the Enterprise up to the Enterprise with a briefcase. I just... Kasha must be rolling over in her holographic grave because... (laughs) Well, he asks uh, Quinn about, you know, his suspicions, and Quinn was like, what? No, nothing's wrong. And then Picard's like, "Uh uh-oh, they got to him. And so he tells Riker, keep an eye on him. That is not Admiral Quinn. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, Quinn had beamed up there because they wanted to get uh, Dr. Crusher infected because the briefcase had one of the things. But, yes, he uh, was very mad when he thought that that Riker was um, <laughs> infected when he comes back down because he's like that was for the doctor. So they really Riker wanted goes, couldn't be helped. Uh, yeah, there was yeah. a complication. We couldn't be helped. But um, yeah, uh, and apparently, and then Quinn just like goes and kicks a bunch of people's asses. Uh, like he throws Riker across the room, then he throws Worf across the room. He smashes all while smiling. Yeah, he smashes uh, a door through Jordy. Like like Jordy's on the other side of the door, and he just bashes the door, and like Jordy goes flying. And then yeah. Doctor Crusher herself shows up and saves the day. Yeah. Saves the day, phasing him with, and she had it set on kill because setting it on stun uh, wasn't going to have any effect. I know. I was so proud of her. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, uh, you know, uh, that didn't kill him. They they were they just, you know, knocked him out and they were able to sedate him and examine the thing and figure out what's going on. And so because of that and finding the blue gill, they simulated the that thing on the back of uh, Riker's neck so that Riker can beam down and pose as one of them so that to, to so that they have their guard down around him. But can we please, 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 before we move on, we have to talk about Riker's crane kick to the face. <laughs> he did such a like it was such a karate kid crane t- kick to the face to the guy. And I was like, you get him, Riker. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> well, and I also loved how uh, you could obviously tell like they, they would have like the cuts on Quinn's face when he's, you know, like boasting and everything with that big grin. But then it would cut to a wide shot where it's very obviously a stuntman in a gray wig <laughs> <laughs> who can actually do those big, like, because he, he also did like, did like a big sweeping kick too. And I was just like, I can't even kick that high. No. And uh, so, like, yeah, that, that, that's not a, uh, that's, 
That's not a dude in his 50s. I tried to do a high kick once. We were coming uh-huh. out of the movie uh, version of Rent, and I was trying to demonstrate how Mimi <laughs> kicks her leg up and goes over the bar at the movie theater, and I pulled my groin muscles so oh. <laughs> Yeah. You, you gotta stretch before you try that. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, sure, I'm as good as 19-year-old Rosario Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then my favorite line of the whole episode... Vitamins. They do wonders for the body. <laughs> yes. I do have a note here that says, no, you will not infect my wife with that alien, meaning Beverly. Oh, and can we talk about when Picard goes down to have dinner with the admirals and then they open the bowls and they're full of like worms and stuff. And <laughs> mealworms, just like, yeah. oh, it's, yeah, dig in. And Picard's like, Ugh. and I'm like, um, I've eaten mealworms before. They're fine. It's there's not really that much flavor to them. My lizard eats them. Yeah, they're fine. So I yeah, can my notes just say big old bowl <laughs> of mealworms? That's all it says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we got to see the Vulcan neck pinch. Yeah, we did. So I thought that was oh, my notes even say maybe Riker is faking. Ha! I called it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the the neck pinch. I was like, oh man, I I forgot about its existence. I was literally like, oh, that's right. Vulcan neck pinch, that's a thing. So I was pretty excited to see it. I'm trying to think how many characters that aren't Vulcan have used the neck pinch at some point. I think Data has used it at some point in the show. I think there have been times where like a non-Vulcan who has like mind melded with a Vulcan is able to use it for like a brief period of time because they've got like a psychic connection to the Vulcan. Mm, okay. So I, I don't think it's anything specific to Vulcan physiology that lets you do the neck pitch. I think it's just Vulcans have uh, mastered it themselves. Right. That's what I always took it as in the original series. And the reason that it even exists to begin with is because um, Leonard Nimoy in one episode that he was written that he was supposed to punch a guy out and he's just like i don't know spock doesn't seem like a violent kind of a guy i feel like he would have have another way to deal with him so he came up with the neck pinch interesting it triggered a weird kind of traumatic memory from my childhood because i had forgotten my mom used to do it she used it as like a punishment like if she wanted to like she'd reach up and pinch your neck really bad and i know she got it from star trek she loved the original (sighs) series and like but like Leonard it's really Nimoy weird would not approve that's what i yeah exactly like i i can't believe that she would look at something that was like meant to be sort of like a peaceful way to disarm someone and use digging into her own child's shoulder as like a way to punish them but call it the neck pinch anyway i just remembered that and i was like ugh, yeah ugh. <laughs> But I was excited to see it used, since it is a Vulcan thing. I think that wheelchair that our our fist pump guy, why can't I think of his name, Remick? Is it Remick? Uh-huh. I think that the wheelchair he was sitting in is Benjamin Button's wheelchair. Well, it wasn't a wheelchair. It was just a... Um... But I think it was, though. It looked just like the one, because the one that looked like Pike's wheelchair. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one it, from... It was, it was blocky like it, but it wasn't a wheelchair, because he was ambulatory. He was walking around. It was just in that one room where they confront him, he's sitting yeah. down while they do it. And I'm assuming they had him sitting down while they did it so that once his chest explodes and they have the little penis monster come out from under it, that mm. they just had all of the puppetry and everything underneath that chair that they could that hide That snivelly it. little middle management guy, he yeah. was so good at playing a weirdo. Like when, I know. That, when that weird claymation stop motion thing went up his leg and he just weirdly creepily opened his mouth so it could climb in, I was like, well, this was your calling, guy. I think you play this guy pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, he was he was definitely well cast for that role because you hated him the first time you saw him, and here now he's a creepy infested alien thing that you definitely want to blow up. Yeah, uh, he blew up like a champ. I tell you, if uh, if I were in his shoes, my chest wouldn't have exploded at all. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. So I was like, guess you're not going to get to join the Enterprise now, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, too, because I was even thinking uh, back to the coming of age episode. I had forgot that Quinn and Remick uh, show back up in this episode. I mean, I knew there was like a follow up to the, oh, there's a conspiracy thing. But I didn't remember these two guys came back for it. So when Remick, when I remembered that it was Remick who was the main one who dies, I was just like, oh, I feel bad for him. I know. I had kind of because I thought he was kind of cute with his fist pumping and his yeah. when my assignments up, I want to be put here. You know, I thought that was all really interesting and I liked him. So I was kind of sad to see him go. Um, so while I was watching the episode, my husband brought up an interesting thing that I want to put to you. Um, okay. Do you think that data can buy into conspiracy theories? Do, do, do you think there's any, like, if he hears a conspiracy theory, is it easy for him to debunk it because there's no proof or whatever? Or do you think there's a way where he would be, like, able to go, okay, there's enough credence that this could be possible? Well, I mean, I think anybody, when there's enough credence to a conspiracy theory, you could probably say, okay, that's possible. Like, I mean, we don't have any proof that uh, somebody else killed Jeffrey Epstein, but, like, at this point, I feel like... right. Uh, <laughs> the people who are like, oh, no, Jeffrey Epstein totally killed himself. I feel like those are the crazy people, right? Right. I, I think it's contextual. Um, it, it depends on how much evidence you have. And, you know, there can be suspicions without, you know, making outright claims. And you can treat people with an appropriate level of skepticism in that regard. Because there's some times where people, like, will put their conspiracy theories out to me. And I'll go, you know, I see why you could think that's possible, you know, but I don't buy into it if there's no proof, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like the difference between like, okay, I can entertain and understand why you might, but I don't really believe it. And I think that's something data would be capable of. It's like rationalizing, you know? I think everybody is capable of rationalizing to an extent to themselves. To, yeah. I mean, uh, Voyager had uh, addressed this both with Tuvok and with Seven of Nine. There was actually a whole episode of Voyager where Seven of Nine fell down like a conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Oh, really? Uh, Interesting. Yeah, like we're, we're like a severe conspiracy theory rabbit hole where she started like piecing different things together. And like the whole episode was just like, here is the mindset of a conspiracy theorist. And he here's how here's why it's wrong. And like Janeway, you know, has to like give her like a motherly talk to pull her out of it. And she's like, no, all of these things <laughs> happen because we're your friends and we love you. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, maybe I'm I, I'm kind of thinking I want to rewatch Voyager because like you like I've said before, and you know, it was there and it was playing, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. But I saw I like I got the major point of them being lost and stuff like that. But I wasn't paying attention to a lot of the nuance because I didn't really care, you know, right. So my last question, and I'm as I'm about to ask it before we move to the next episode, I'm realizing now why they had to keep that guy alive on the Enterprise is because if they had just because Riker and Picard went down and murdered yeah. <laughs> a bunch of Starfleet like high up people yeah. <laughs> or Federation high up people or whatever. And I was like, uh, are they just going to not like talk about that? And then I realized just as I was about to ask that question that, well, because that other guy is alive on the Enterprise, he can explain. Yeah, he's a he's a high ranking admiral, too. And he can be like, no, yeah. And he was possessed himself. He's like, no, yeah, absolutely. These things were like, yeah, they were controlling us. 
and uh, they uh, Picard and Riker did the right thing. Yeah, because they need that. Otherwise, Picard and Riker go into jail. <laughs> yeah. How did you like the ending of the episode where Data picks up a transmission that's a homing beacon, and it just the, the shot the the last shot of the episode is just the Enterprise drifts off. And then the camera starts going forward through space as we hear the signal going beep, 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 beep. I know. I was like, I didn't know how to feel about it. I felt like they were like saying, well, we might see these guys again. You know, like we might see these alien dudes again. Um, Or basically just saying when you think you get rid of a threat, they're still out there. But I, I don't I thought it was a I thought it was a but it fit the episode. It was a weird ending compared to the other 24 episodes I've seen. But it also felt fitting for the episode because there was a different tone to the episode as well. I will tell you that the original intention was for there to be sequels to this. And they didn't make them. They did, but not in the way they intended the original intention was that there would be a recurring threat of an insectoid race that could possess humans and was going to be a big threat to the federation but it was so expensive to do all of that effects and stuff they decided Mm -hmm. well we like the the possession aspect of it and it's probably cheaper to to like glue wires to people's face so the borg i see interesting okay so it's kind of like the origin of the Borg, then, yeah. right? This is ostensibly, and in the writer's room, this is like the first Borg episode. It didn't end up being the Borg, so it's disconnected in that regard, but from like a, an intention standpoint, this was supposed to be the Borg's origin. Interesting, yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. I like that. Well, I guess it's time for us to move on to the neutral zone, which is the 26th episode of the first season, also the season finale. It first aired on the 16th of May, 1988. The teleplay was by Maurice Hurley. The story was by Deborah McIntyre and Mona Klee. It was directed by James L. Conway. The episode's title is The Neutral Zone, but that's kind of a very small part of the story yeah they act like the neutral zone stuff is the big story but really it's the cryogenically frozen humans so the enterprise finds a derelict earth vessel uh from apparently either the late 90s or early 2000s data goes and investigates finds three people uh chronically frozen and beams them over to the enterprise and picard's not even on the enterprise at this point he's like coming back from some meeting so like Uh, Data's like, well, I want to investigate. And Riker's like, all right, but be back before Picard gets here. Right, because dad went away and the big brother who was watching the ship was like, yes, you can do that thing as long as dad doesn't find out. (laughs) (laughs) So they beam him over and then Data has a Dr. Crusher look at them and she ends up is like, okay, well, they all died before they were frozen, but it looks like it was cryonics. It looks like they died with stuff that is easily treatable for us, but just at the time was was fatal. So she went ahead and cured them all and brought them back to life. And it turns out they're all terrible people. (laughs) Well, two of them are terrible people. (laughs) Two of them. And one is just written terribly. (laughs) I got some opinions about that woman. Um, So the idea here, I think, was these are all supposed to be people from like 10 years in the future. So they're all just modern people. They're people who would be watching TNG. Here's them, how they would react to the future. There's a a woman who she was just a a housewife uh, who didn't even know that she was going to be chronically frozen. Apparently, it was just something her husband did. uh, Impetuously did. Yeah. Then we've got Sunny, who is apparently a uh, (laughs) man I hate. Go ahead. 
country music star who uh, had the money to uh, have himself brought back, and I think he he said that he uh, he would rather the money go to that company than to any of his ex-wives. Right. The third one, uh, and the guy I hate the most, the financier. The financier. <laughs> I just had Southern asshole dude. <laughs> And other asshole dude written down. Yeah, his name is Ralph, and he is just, you know, some, like, stockbroker investment dickhead. He's a Wall Street bro. Who thinks that he's been uh, resurrected on, like, a luxury cruise ship, because he's like, listen, I'm sure your captain thinks whatever he's doing is very important, but I have to check my portfolio, so please get me a copy of the Wall Street Journal and get me a phone so I can call my lawyer and check up on my investments. And it's like, dude, this- He's the dumbest man I've ever met because like we tell him what year it is we as if i'm on the starfleet (laughs) we wake him up and we tell him what year it is and he's like I need to call my lawyer. Like, you think your lawyer lived for 400 years, buddy? Yeah, like, Picard literally told him, he's like, your lawyer's been dead for centuries. He's like, yes, but he was top partner in a very prestigious law firm. And trust me, that law firm is still there. And I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, no, dude, they killed all the lawyers in like 2078. And so I guess at the end of the episode, it turns out the humans are humans. And then it turns out that the Romulans are Romulans. Like, that was kind of just the end. There, the, Like, that's what makes the neutral zone part so kind of like... As far as plot goes, it was just a setup for season two, right? Yeah, it was to it was to reintroduce the Romulans. So the the problem there is that uh, there have been uh, Federation bases uh, all along our side of the neutral zone that have been destroyed. They've gone and investigated them, and it looks like they have just been like completely scooped up off the planet. Yeah, I want to know about that technology. Yeah, yeah, and I want to know who did it. Yeah, me too. They're wondering if it's the Romulans, but then the Romulans show up themselves and they're like, oh yeah, no, our uh, our bases were scooped up on our side too. That's why we're here in the neutral zone, because we wanted to see uh, if you guys did it, but it looks like, no, you don't have the technology. They're all like, hmm, very suspicious. But it was mm-hmm. also there to be like, we Romulans, we haven't been interacting with you guys for about 60 years because we had our own things to deal with, but I see that that was a mistake because the Federation is spreading everywhere and we aren't having it. We're yeah. back. Goodbye, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> um okay so that is the episode like i was a little disappointed in the neutral zone b plot to be honest because i kept thinking it wasn't going to be the romulans because of how often they were saying it's got to be the romulans the romulans the romulans i was like okay so it's not going to be the romulans (laughs) and then it ended up just straightforward being the romulans well it ended up being the romulans showing up but they did not scoop up the bases. What did you think of Riker being so impetuous to battle there at the end, where he's like, just put up the shields and get the photons and should we this? Because part of me was like, okay, he's trying to be prepared. But part of me was like, stop being such a like, I don't know, like he was trying to push this narrative of fighting. He hadn't been there when Troy was giving Picard the briefing about the Romulans and how they always react. They, they wait for the other person to make the first move. So Riker didn't realize that making those decisions would definitely get them into a fight. And Picard right. was banking on, no, the Romulans are cautious. They want to see what's going on. They're not Can they're... any ship cloak itself? Because I thought no. it was the Klingon birds of prey that could cloak themselves, but the Romulans seemed to be cloaked too, right? The Romulans were the first ones with the cloaking device. Oh, okay. So I just have it reversed in my head. But the Klingons and Romulans had an alliance for about 100 years, 
And so they shared that technology, but it is a Romulan technology. Oh, so it started with the Romulans. Yes. And then I didn't know until this episode that Romulans are related to Vulcans. That was actually established in the very first Romulan episode, along with the cloaking device uh, in uh, the original series. And I can't believe I am blanking on the name. I'm going to look it up right now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Have you ever played Fallout 4? No, um... Well, I've played maybe five minutes of it. So the beginning of it... Balance of Terror is the name of the episode. Sorry, go ahead. Well, so at the beginning of Fallout 4, you, you're you in your house, and then the bomb drops, and you rush over to the vault where you're going to be put in, in the vault to be protected from the bombs. Right. And in Fallout 4 in particular, you're, you're rushed in, and you think you're being put into a normal vault, but you're actually being put into one where the experiment is to cryogenically freeze, your, freeze you. Right. And then you're resurrected like 300 years later and so immediately i was like oh hey it's fallout 4 (laughs) (laughs) but none of those three people would have survived in the wasteland and i just had to say that (laughs) none of those people sunny would be dead like the second he stepped out i hated sunny did i mention i hated sunny well, um. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to get your reaction to when uh, Sonny was asking uh, Dr. Crusher for drugs, and when she told him no, he grabbed her ass. <sighs> I, I was so mad. And the look on her face, like, she was, like, he grabbed her ass and then walked away, and you could see the look on her face, like, if that man hadn't walked away, he would have been dead right now. So dead. Like, she set her phaser to kill last episode, buddy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to understand that you need to get your hands off that woman, you know? <laughs> I was so mad. I was so mad. But he seems like he was, aside from being a complete sexist asshole, he seemed like he was pretty well adjusted to having shown up in the future. He's like, hey, this is all cool. Because I think it was exactly what he expected. But Mm -hmm. this is where I was like, so I have a chronic illness and I joke all the time about wanting a robot body or a clone body or whatever happens. I'll say right now of all the sci-fi bodies, I think Westworld bodies would be the best. Yeah, that makes sense. For me. Yeah. But I was watching this and I was like... I want to wake up on the Enterprise 400 years in the future. These people are being so weird about it. I would be like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, get me on this spaceship. I'm in space. You know, like, I would be so excited. Like, these people did not react the way that I would react. Well, you have to consider that you're not just waking up. Hell yeah, I'm in space. You're waking up and everyone I know and love is dead. I know. But see, two of them signed up for that. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. And that's why the mother, she made me so sad. Like, the way that she was written, like, the only thing that matters is being a mother. That bothered me. But there was the... I also thought it was really cheesy that Data did not know the term homemaker. That was (laughs) funny. I thought that was funny. Except for that he knows the term financier when there's no money anymore. Well, they know the Ferengi. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) No, I think that was probably a deliberate choice to basically imply that uh, women aren't, you know, confined to the home in in the 24th century. So that's not really a career. Yeah, I could see. I, I can see that. I just I thought it was weird. I don't know. Like, she was so sad because she didn't have a choice in it. And I found her very tragic. Like, she had no idea idea that she had died suddenly and that she was being shipped into space and that she was going to wake up with no one you know like and nobody but everybody woke up with nobody and no one right but i really felt like somebody could have taken her aside and been like this isn't 
you know, 1989 anymore or whatever. You have a lot of options for... Troy should have been... Oh, I know. She should have been with all of them the entire time. Like, I understand that, you know, she has, like, tactical knowledge that she's helping brief Picard on and everything like that, but so do other people. And she's ship's counselor. Her first job should be to cancel people. But she doesn't even get called in to be a counselor to, like, three quarters of the way through the episode. He's like, let's get the ship's counselor in here. They don't even bring her in until they're like, oh god, she's she's crying now. Y- y- you would think, they'd be like, okay, these people have been dead for 400 years and we're gonna wake them up now. We should probably make sure we have a psychologist on hand to, you know, walk them through the process. Well, quite literally how it happened is Bev said, oh, hey, uh, Captain Picard, I unfroze those mystery people. And he's like, the who? The you what? Know? <laughs> yeah, like, what mystery people? What frozen people? <laughs> like, it was totally like uh, Data went out and found some kids and brought them home and said, they live with us now. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was so weird. I was also... When they first woke them up, they're like, oh, we should have security here just in case. Let's bring Mr. Worf. I'm like, how about bring any human security officer? They're going to wake up and the first thing they see is Worf. I did not foresee it because I wasn't thinking of Worf as an alien. But when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, that was really stupid. Although, But she like <laughs> sees him and then just faints. And I'm like, nobody faints like that. That's like no. such an old trope of, of Hollywood. Like, especially for women, a woman sees something shocking, goes <gasps> and faints I'm like that. It doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah, no, it doesn't happen. One time I saw a snake I wasn't expecting, and it was, like, six feet long in Yellowstone. And I, like, everything went black for a second, and I, like, backed up, and I felt like I was going to pass out. But that was the closest I've ever gotten, was because I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> How about the fact that when the woman starts crying, Picard is just like, oh, hell no. Deanna, (laughs) (laughs) Deanna, where are you? (laughs) Counselor Troy, I need you to deal with women issues. There is a crying woman. (laughs) (laughs) And I work in a counseling office in a school. And so this episode in particular, I'm, I'm the counseling secretary for our whole office. And I kept thinking about what it would be like to have Deanna be one of my counselors. Because I'm constantly having to be like, hey, this kid needs this, or I need help with this, or, you know, the admin's calling you and you need to go up there. And I was like, it'd be so weird to have to be like, hey, Deanna, your appointment's here, and have her be like, I know. (laughs) 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 I was trying to imagine, like, what it would be like to have Deanna as the counselor. She'd be really good at the social-emotional stuff, that's for sure. I just wanted the mom to realize there were so many options for her. I really wanted them to talk about equality and, like, stuff like, like, you don't have to be focused on being a homemaker. Like, here's all these other things. What were you interested in before you had kids? I mean, there and plus, at her age and being all healthy and stuff, she could have more kids. Like She's, like, in her... She was like in her early thirties. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she, she was real young. <laughs> she had young kids. Like when, when she died, her kids were like five and eight. So yeah, she's she's young. Yeah. So I don't know. I felt like to be like, hey, here's Beverly, our chief medical officer on this giant spaceship. Look what she's doing with her life. See, we treat women differently than where you come from. Mm-hmm. And there was none of that. And then why did they let the financier go on for so long before they were like, dude, there's no money? Like, the whole episode, I was like, just tell him there's no money. Tell him money doesn't matter. Why are you dragging this out? (laughs) I know. I just... (laughs) 
I, I, I got the feeling like some of them were just so unfamiliar with the concept they didn't know how to broach it with him. Yeah. Uh, like Riker just is like, dude, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what money is. But I, like you just said, they know the Ferengi. Yeah, but I don't know. It just just seems like it felt weird. It felt weird because like that was his whole motivating factor. And then and then he gets on the bridge. Okay, this is just I got a problem with br- security on the Enterprise still. Why like, was he allowed to make that call when 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 Picard's like oh, on the Enterprise? We have self control. We don't need security lockouts for this. And I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, you are a capital class ship that is transporting guests. Uh, from like say diplomatic uh, things all, all over the place. I mean, just uh, six months ago, you had the Sele and the Antikins eating each other on your ship. You absolutely need a security lockout on the uh, essential ship functions like the intercom. What are you talking about? I know. And then he gets up there and he just toddles up to the bridge, <laughs> and and then they're like, "Get him out of here!" And the security officer instead in the gold stands there with his arm cupped around his upper arm, like he's going to lead him out. And and then just stands there. That is a problem that is so off, so common, not not just in Star Trek, but just in fiction in general, when like somebody's being arrested, but they're like, wait, I have something to say. And then the people arresting them are like, oh, okay, we'll let you go so that you can keep talking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, if you're struggling against two security officers who are trying to escort you out, they're going to put your ass on the ground. I know. Like, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, why is this guy up here? Like, and I mean, you know, I've brought up other things, like when people could like teleport straight to the bridge and stuff, but this was just a man wandering around in places he doesn't belong. And I understand that we're supposed to have self-control, but humans are still humans. And there's a ton of civilians on that ship. Like, I think there has, and I asked last episode, I think, why there wasn't key cards or something. (laughs) But like the computer could just say, hey, you're not allowed to be in here. I'm not letting you in here, you know? No, you shouldn't, unless you are a bridge officer, you should not have access to the bridge. Not at all. Yeah. Because there can be an emergency, you can have a normal human reaction to an emergency, and you could just bust your butt up to the bridge, and that's not okay. I do have a note here that says, if he breaks into song like a f***ing hobbit, I will kill him. (laughs) (laughs) I was was not having it with Sonny. How about when, like, Data said that, because uh, Sonny wanted to watch TV on the uh, screen, and, and Data's like, oh, TV died out in, like, 2040. No, I was laughing about that, yeah. No, do they mean television as in television stations? Because I could see that. Uh, everything's online now, but did he mean TV as in, like, uh, serialized video entertainment? Because I certainly hope that's not dying in 20 years. I like well, TV. Well, but think about TV. Think about, because they we hadn't had the golden age of television yet. This is 88, right? So, right. like, this is one of the shows that actually like made other shows like it happen like when you look at the type of the long-running shows i think people thought tv was going to die out i i think and then we had the sopranos and we had all these like big like hbo had a huge hand in the tv revolution you know and then we had streaming where people if they missed an episode could just binge it all at once and now we get real stories yeah yeah like long-running stories and i so i don't think tv is going anywhere but i realized when he said that it made me think about the enterprise in general because they can go on the holodeck and they can pretend stories but if there's no movies and tv and like they're only reading old books it seems not new books like where are these people getting entertainment because i don't think we evolved to the point where we don't need entertainment anymore especially if we don't need money and stuff because we're going to spend a lot of our times entertaining ourselves yeah it's 
seems it's it's a little weird. Pretty much any time a character is like engaging with uh, a work of fiction, like either like a, a, a holodeck program that's like a hollow novel or something mm-hmm. like that, or or they're reading a book, it's it's always something from present day past. It's never like something that was written in like 2100. Because they'd have to make up a whole new story for that or whatever. But actually, they do that anyway, because they did it with the Slade Wilson character. That's not his name. <laughs> the character that Picard plays in the holodeck. The Oh, um, yeah, Dixon Hill. Dixon Hill. So, yeah, he. I mean, like, they created that whole story. But it's still set in the 1940s. It's still yeah. based on, like, that the, the Sam Spade kind of a character, the, you know, it, the, 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 the noir detective genre. Which is comforting to us. Yeah. And, yeah. and on Voyager, Janeway had, like, a, a running thing where she was doing, like, a... Um, a Jane Austen a hollow novel or something. It wasn't Jane Austen, but it was in that style where she was like right. the governess of a, a, a of a rich man's uh, house or something like that. Why? What? I'm just going to tell you right now, if I get a holodeck, I'm not pretending I'm someone's f***ing governess. <laughs> I'm just, just going to tell you right now. <laughs> if I get a holodeck, I am doing some cool stuff. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe when we get to Voyager, if we get to yeah. that point, we can have a discussion about that. But like, um, um on on other uh, series where like uh, characters have engaged with uh, media, like say movies or cartoons, like Tom Paris. Uh, Tom Paris. He's he's a geek with a severe focus on Americana. He likes being a grease monkey. He likes watching cartoons. Stuff like that. And then uh, on Enterprise, they have, like, movie nights. And all the movies that they showed, I they were usually showing things that were, like, in public domain at that time. Or it'd be, like, old stuff. Or, like, there was one time where uh, uh, one of the characters showed uh, a visiting alien the uh, movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. So movies still exist. And, and I think even on Discovery, they had, like, a movie night at, at some point. Yeah. But they're always engaging with ancient fiction they're not engaging with near fiction it seems like it's just an oversight in the writing Uh um and i did ask at one point like what caused like all of this stuff to like stop where they didn't and you said there was a world war three but how long did that last for it was a like a 10-year war that's so that's nothing in in the span of 400 years right but 600 million people died i mean oh geez yeah that's okay it was a (laughs) nuclear it was a nuclear holocaust like it was a huge. So it was just a. It was a huge, actual huge yeah. war. And then, so the Earth that we see, like in the first episode that we were talking about, that's like a completely rebuilt Earth after. Yeah. So the the last few things I want to touch on are: I didn't know Worf's parents were killed by Romulans. Was that established this episode? I, I'm trying to remember it because we you knew his parents were killed. I don't remember if he had said that it was a Romulan attack in that episode. So it might have been, but yeah. it might have been this one that established it. But yeah, Worf hates Romulans. He like, kind of has a reason, though. Romulans. Like, he, I mean, not that not that I'm saying like that racism or whatever is okay. It's not racism when you hate an entire. What is it? Is it xenophobia? Is that what xenophobia? It would be? Yeah, or speciesism I mean, or something like it's that. It's not okay because like you can't judge every single individual person. But like, I mean, in this particular case, I can kind of see like being distrusting of them in particular. He also yeah. hates the damn Ferengi, don't forget. <laughs> Worf is kind of a just a... A, a rage monster, yeah. A, that's an okay. He's a person. fluffy little rage monster. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I think Worf is quickly becoming one of my favorite characters. Oh, you're gonna love Worf. I mean, I, I don't think I would like Worf as a person in real life if, like, if we were hanging out, because he's kind of... He doesn't bathe, apparently. <laughs> he doesn't bathe, and he's kind of conservative, and I don't know, I feel like, I, I don't think we would get along... 
but uh, I love him as a character. He's he, yeah, and he has a great arc, especially because after this he goes on to Deep Space Nine, so we get even more of him. Oh, he, is he on Deep Space Nine? I didn't know yeah. that, mm-hmm. okay. or I knew it and forgot it because that happens a lot. So here we are at the end of season one. Yeah. So this is your first time going through TNG, uh, and you have finished the first season. How do you feel about it? I don't know. Um, I, I So I've been thinking about this question. You said we would do this, and I've been trying to think about how I feel about it. And I think all that I can really say is it's so different than I expected it to be. What did you expect? I think I expected it to be episodic. And only episodic, which it is, but but there's character development that goes on in between those episodes, uh, in between the monster of the week, you know? Right. And you grow to actually like these characters, and they all have these individual personality traits that are interesting, um, that you're watching develop. Um, I've gone from, like, really not being able to stand Data to really, like, relating to Data, Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if the writing changed or if it was because I had some sort of like stigma of what I thought data was. Well, you hate robots, so I do hate robots inherently. <laughs> <laughs> as far as it, like when I sat down to watch the next generation, even before we thought of this podcast, um, I thought all of these people that I know love this show. Like I found out recently, and I don't know how I didn't know this, that one of my best friends of like, I'm doing the math real quick. I think it's like 25 years. She rewatches The Next Generation three times every year. Wow. It is her comfort show. And uh-huh. I didn't even know that. Like, because I guess she just assumed I wasn't into Star Trek. So she doesn't really talk about it. But it's like the kind of show she puts on and just has going while she's doing stuff. And she finds it very comforting. And I had no idea. So now we've been talking about it. And she's got a, she loves Deanna. She loves, um, she, she was like, I, she was very mad about Tasha being killed off too. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we talked about that. And like, it's, it's open. It, that's another thing that it's done, which is kind of a side note is I've always had all these friends that love the show i now can interact with them mm-hmm. about it which is interesting too and i it, so it's created this other like fandom that i'm that i'm and now i'm starting to, i understand memes when i see them more i understand the characters um i did learn about tasha dying through a meme but like <laughs> i mean we can't really blame the internet for spoiling something from 30 years ago <laughs> I, I, I feel like the the uh, statute of limitations is lifted on that one. Yeah, now. I can't get mad about that, <laughs> even if it wasn't supposed to go down that way. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I actually am excited to see where it goes. I think that I wasn't expecting that. I think I thought I'll watch this and I'll try to understand why people like it so much. And now that I'm at the end of season one, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be like, oh, yeah, I guess I can see why people like it. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. actually like ready to see more happen. Like when we talk about episodes and you're like, oh, that's coming up or oh, yeah, you're really going to like this episode in five seasons away or whatever. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, like when you used to say that (laughs) at the like first couple episodes, I was like, dude, I don't know if I'm making it to seven seasons. (laughs) (laughs) and now i'm like how many seasons away until i see that episode (laughs) you know so i think i understand it now i understand the love for tng i understand why it is people's comfort show because it is comforting there is a comfort to the repetition kind of the just the formula like sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just nice to have that like and here's the commercial break and here's the commercial break and here's the commercial break where you come back and there's eight minutes left like it's that 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 is comforting i think but like there's no 
there's plots and stuff like I hate Sonny. I've said that at least 20 times. Um, yeah. I hated him and I was not my favorite character, even as like a bad guy or whatever. Like I just didn't like him. Um, but that doesn't make me inherently hate the show just because there's some episodes that I don't like. Whereas with some shows, you do a couple episodes and it just tanks the whole show. And I don't know. I just I really like it, like actually genuinely like it. And I never really liked the original series because it was there and I watched it as a kid and it was on the TV and everybody knew about Captain Kirk and Spock. And I was just like, yep, everybody knows about Star Trek. This is the first time that I actually have an emotional connection to the story, to the characters, to the people. And I mean, on top of all of that, it's something that I get to do and I get together with you, my friend, and I get to talk about the show that you love. And so in that way, I love it, too, because I get to now you and I are getting to relate about things that we've never been able to relate about before. And we had Manda on and I got to do it with Manda and I got to meet Silent and I thought that was really cool. Like, so it's brought all these cool things and like it gives me just another way to relate to my nerdy friends because we're just a bunch of nerds, you know, and I love it. One thing that stood out to me in in, uh, uh, what you said a little bit ago, uh, when you said that you were finding friends who watched Star Trek that you had no idea about, growing up in the 90s, it wasn't really cool to like Star Trek. I mean, no. I was I was a bullied nerd all throughout, oh, you know, yeah. uh, middle school and high school. So Star Trek was something I pretty much kept to myself. Anytime I met somebody who did like it, you know, obviously I was just like, oh my god, finally one of my people. But <laughs> it wasn't really something that it was cool to admit that I liked. And so I, I can kind of understand that discovering, oh, you like Star Trek? Well, I never knew that. Well, because like. For those of us who grew up in the 90s, a lot of us d- just didn't mention it because, you know, we were bullied for it. Right. Yeah, like that makes sense. That makes total sense. And so, I mean, it must be kind of cool now that it's yeah. for you. Yeah, that it's so like prevalent and out there and you can walk around and be like, yeah, I like Star Trek. And anybody who makes fun of you is going to everybody's going to be like, what are you doing? That's not cool. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, I met you as a Star Trek nerd. Um, because you, well, you were doing nano. Yeah. And then Amanda, who we had on, was involved in Phoenix at that time, like at the time that I met you. And so it was one of the first things I knew about you was that you like Star Trek. And to me, like, it's just another fandom. Like what that's how I've always kind of seen it. But now that I've watched this first season, and I'm sure as it continues to go on, I'm going to realize why the Star Trek fandom is what it is, because there's a lot of heart in this show that I don't think some of the other fandoms have. The way that we think of fandom is kind of was kind of like pioneered by Star Trek, I want to say. I can agree with that. Fan fiction, like Star Trek fanzines in the 70s is what kept that show alive. And that was slash fiction as a term originates from the slash in Kirk slash Spock. <laughs> so so Star Trek is so foundational to so many of the genetic elements of fan communities. Pretty much all started with it. I mean, there's there's always been, you know, fandoms of things in different ways, but as the way that, like, social media and everything has, has been developing in the last, you know, half century, Star Trek was at the forefront of all of that. In, in the 80s, uh, one of the biggest ways to engage with the Star Trek fan community was on, like, BBSs. Mm, that makes sense. Star Trek is, like, one of the foundational fandoms. And uh, and I- I'm glad you're in it, finally. I think there's a lot of love in the fandom, too. I think there's a lot of people that are, like, there seems to be a lot of kindness. Like, mm-hmm. and when I make jokes in my small group of friends now, like, I only have, like, 100 people on my Facebook because I have it keep it, I keep it really locked down because that's, I just went through a lot a couple of years ago and I keep myself locked down. But when I make a joke 
about Star Trek or whatever. Nobody, like, jumps on to be like, oh, well, that's just a stupid thing to like. Like, everybody, I think, has a small experience, at least in a small way, where they interacted with Star Trek in a positive light. Whether they saw the original series in syndication as a kid, or they grew up with the movies. I mean, everybody knows the Whales movie, right? Like, it got yeah. played on TV a bunch when I was, like, 10 or 11. It was always on what we call Channel 11, because that was the show that was the channel that always had like the movies playing on Saturday afternoon and stuff. Yeah. And it just, there's, I think that it's just, it's so widely prevalent that peep and there's so many different types of characters that you can find characters that you really like, you know, it's like, even with me and the next generation, like I really attached to Wesley and Tasha early on and I'm still attached to Wesley but Beverly man that woman has grown on me she's probably my one of my favorite characters she probably is my favorite character at this point because she's there more than Wesley Mm -hmm. but I didn't expect to like it this much let me put it that way I didn't I expected to watch a show and have it be like now I understand the cultural joke so now I get this and now I get that or whatever I expected it to be one of the many 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 things that in my adult life I have brought myself up to date with because I was raised in such a weird way where we didn't watch a lot of media and I just thought it would be just another thing that I added to my list of things I now watched that I had never seen and instead I've really found something that I really like and I really enjoy and I'm I'm like that's why I can do this podcast is because I can watch these episodes and I'm excited to talk about them like and not and like I said I get to talk to my friend you about them but like my husband and I now watch them together and then we listen to the podcast together and like we talk about it and stuff and I mean it's just I'm in I'm enjoying it and I'm really really excited to see where it goes in season two because I know that's where it really starts to take off well that's when it grows the beard I'm ready for the beard <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm not gonna miss smooth face Frakes. Uh, he, Baby he, face. Yeah, he, he needs that that proper fuzz on his face. Yeah, I saw a picture of him the other day, and I was like, I'm so ready <laughs> for that beard. <laughs> well, I think that's the end of season one for us. That is. Thanks for joining us today, and I'm Ari, and I'm Gayfesh, and until next time, live long and prosper. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at RestBothWorlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash RestBothWorlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.